Lights. You are listening to Marvel's Pull List for new Marvel Comics on sale June 23rd, 2021. I'm one of your co-hosts, Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm the other one, Tucker Marcus. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about all the brand new Marvel comics that are out this week. We're going to get to our top picks, some of the books that we're so excited about. Then we're going to give out some awards, which... We have to figure out an award name this week, and then we'll get into a great reading club. We have a really fun guest this week. It's Luciano Vecchio, who is just a, you know what? He's full 4D, a definitive ding-dang delight. He was wonderful. (laughs) He's on to talk about Marvel's Voices Pride, Lords of Empire, Emperor Hulkling, and then the King in Black, Wiccan, and Hulkling book. We'll do all that, but it is about time to get into our picks of the week. Let's start off with Heroes Return number one. This is the final issue of the storyline that Jason Aaron has been writing and has been teaming up with a bunch of amazing, amazing artists to tell. It's basically a world that has been changed and twisted, and the Avengers find themselves having to come together to bring it back to normal. It is, as I mentioned, written by Jason Aaron. Pencils for this issue all by the imitable Ed McGinnis, inks by Mark Morales, colors by Matthew Wilson, letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Just a great team here. If you missed Heroes Reborn, you missed some great comics. But this is the knockdown, drag out, big brawl between the Avengers and the Squadron Supreme of America. You get Jason Aaron writing amazing lines for every character. You know, he's got Captain America lines, he's got Thor lines, Iron Man lines, he's got Hyperion and his Nighthawk. Man, his Nighthawk is rad as heck. And if you missed it, like there's two sort of levels of Big Bad. The ultimate top level Big Bad uh, has been sort of part of the the Avengers title for the last couple of years. It's no surprise. It's Mephisto. Um, but like the sort of core Big Bad of the story is Phil Coulson. I think that's such a great turn. You know, if you need a reason, if you've not been reading these, need a reason. Like there's so many. Captain America with a beard. Phil Coulson punching Captain America and like cackling like a madman. Big Thor versus Hyperion fight where Thor screams out, this isn't America. It's great. It's a just a, a humdinger of an issue. Right there with you. Big stuff happening over there and big stuff happening on the island of Krakoa with sword number six. It's written by Al Ewing with art by Valeria Skidi, colors by Marte Gracia, and letters by VCs Ariana Mar. First of all, like, shout out to Marte, Eisner nominee, richly deserved, an incredible, incredible talent. Al Ewing is one of the only writers who does this for me, which is shock me in terms of his unique and extremely dexterous command of the language of comics themselves. I mean, the touchstone for me forever has been Immortal Hulk number one, the double-double page spread, which like blew my mind when I was reading that. And this issue kicks off with something sort of similar in that way where you go, oh, I don't know how many times I've seen this. It's a splash page and it's no words and it's just quiet and it's just Cap on Krakoa at the Hellfire Gala alone on the shores of the island, looking up at what is now a terraformed Mars. Spoiler alert! Um, And that's a spoiler that I've been looking forward to talking about for a very long time. And it's just this quiet, gorgeous moment 
rendered beautifully by Valerio and Marte. Just amazing. And then he gets into it. There's a conversation between Victor Von Doom and Steve Rogers that follows that is both expansive and incredibly intimate and incredibly character-driven at the same time. That sort of serves as our cold open in this issue. Then as we get into more of the spoiler territory, this is a real like dialogue-driven knife fight in a way. Like it's really filled with snappy dialogue with really cool moments and it's chock full of rich exploration of what's going on right now. And obviously S.W.O.R.D. are at the forefront of everything that's happening, not just on the island, but what's happening on Mars and beyond. And then we have a moment in here. I don't want to talk about it too much because I love just the crack boom explosion of it all. And then there's a whole other scene that I just absolutely refuse to talk about, but it's incredible and so filled with weight. It's tense, but it's beautiful. It's amazing. It just all works out to be, I think, a pretty unique issue. I think this is a a leap forward, a really big leap forward, obviously in-universe, obviously in terms of the remit and the responsibilities of S.W.O.R.D., but I think for the series itself, this feels like a huge sort of maturation of what has already been a very mature, very interesting, very rich story. And we're kind of going leaps and bounds beyond it, seeing how it ties into everything going on down on Earth and seeing how it sort of projects itself out into the universe. It's all so incredible. And the way it's woven together by this entire creative team is just gorgeous. Obviously, 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 this is one of those that I cannot shut up about. So I'll just do that now by saying it is good. (laughs) Yeah, it's a good-ass comic book. (laughs) I I like that every week that we've been through the Hellfire Gala, there's one book that is sort of the This is the book where big things are revealed. Mm -hmm. Big things happen. There's some big things happening in here. But then it's also punctuated by those super, like, wonderful moments that aren't the, like, highlight bits. And that that happens in here. I was tearing up at the end of the issue. And I think anybody who reads this, if you don't get some sort of emotion triggered because of it, then... You're not reading comic books the way I'm reading comic <laughs> books. Um, but maybe you're reading comic books the way we should all be reading comic books is like reading giant books like Marvel's Voices Pride, number one. That is our third pick of the week. This is my favorite of all of the Marvel's Voices issues so far. And there have been some great, great stories and great issues. But this one is so good and it makes you feel full when you read it. Full in your heart, full in like you've gotten a ton of story, full in maybe you've you know, learned about new characters. Maybe you've gotten something that you didn't have beforehand. The intro is written and drawn by Luciano Vecchio, and we'll get into that with him. But it's basically a history of Marvel's LGBTQ plus characters. And it's just so great. The joy that he brings to the page is so palpable. And I think that is part of why this issue works so well is you start off on this great foot. You start off with this sequence that like is the the intro to what this book is an intro to i think for maybe for a lot of readers some characters that they didn't know some part of our history they didn't know from there it goes off and running you get a full page by Alan Heinberg and Jim Chung of the vows that Billy and Teddy have for each other at their wedding it's this wonderful little young avengers page with polaroid photos of the young avengers kids And then on and on, we get a runaway story. We get a really great story with Charlie McGowan and Elektra, of all people. 
There's a great story with Black Cat, which is like got some flirty bits in it. And I really, really dug that. It was wonderful. I mean, top to bottom, this is jam-packed with relatable and sweet and funny and sad and all kinds of stories. It is a snapshot of what the Marvel Universe can be. There's one story, the, the Colossus story is the one that I connected with most personally. It's Tommy Speed of the Young Avengers and David, who is prodigy of the X-Men, the two of them who've had this on and off relationship going on for a while. But it's David talking about being bi and how he's had to process that and what that means for him and how he's come out and how he's just dealing with that in his own way and around other people. And I think that one I associated most with, but top to bottom, this is... One of my favorite comics of the year, I think. Yeah. Oh, we can't forget about um, it introduces a new character to the X-Men Pantheon with Somnus, who is designed by Luciano. Um, But that story is one that I said is like, there are sad moments and then sweet moments. And this issue to me, again, is like the perfect distillation of the breadth of what the Marvel Universe can give to you as a reader. And you you don't have to feel like, you know, you're, you're queer in any way to love this book, but because it is a celebration of pride, it's even better. It's so much incredible work in there from so many great creators and happy Pride Month to all. What a wonderful celebration that issue is. And now, as we transition over to our new comics on sale coming your way on June 23rd, we have our listies. <laughs> As we move on now, we go to Amazing Spider-Man number 69. This issue is continuing this kind of ongoing tale, the Chameleon Conspiracy story arc. This is part three of it. And it's interesting what's happening between Teresa Parker and the Chameleon. And it feels like those two are really stirring the pot and the dynamic that's happening in there is really powerful and it's really unique. And it feels like Spidey is sort of getting caught in that whirlpool. It's a really interesting issue. Yeah. All right. We have Captain Marvel number 29 out this week. This is part of the storyline where Carol is trying to basically get magic in her tool belt in order to deal with a problem from her past, which is the future, the character of Ove, who is the son of Namor and Amora, the Enchantress. And... She's just like digging herself deeper and deeper into a hole. But my Get Listy award for (laughs) this one is a sequence in which Rhodey is making himself a shake in his tank top, arms just exploding. Uh, He's just doing his morning business. And Doctor Strange pops in, Astro projects to him, and the shake goes all over. It's a really funny little sequence. It's just another reminder that Kelly is one of our best. And she does every possible avenue of storytelling so friggin' well. 100% agreed. All right, next up we have Fantastic Four, Life Story number two. And this is an interesting one. Any story like these Life Story series have been, you know, you go through their history and tell it in a linear fashion as if it all happened year by year by year with the characters aging along with it. Okay, so That is sort of enough of a challenge when you have one character with just their supporting cast and just their story. But when you think about it, the second you dig into it for a moment, you go, oh my God, FF, they are intimately, deeply entwined with everything with Galactus, with Silver Surfer, with the Inhumans, with Black Panther, with Doctor Doom. 
With Namor, there are so many of these characters that play such a crucial role in the Fantastic Four's history, and folding that into a story like this has got to be a really, really, really difficult task. I got to say, Mark Russell and Sean Isaacs, the writer and artist duo on this book, I think do an incredible job at that. Just a great, great series. Really, really fun. All right, up next is Gamma Flight number one. Now, this one's fun because Tucker... It's not just you and I yapping our, our our faces off about all the amazing comics out this week. We actually have one of the writers for wow. the book, Crystal Fraser here. Crystal, hi. Hi. What is Gamma Flight number one? Who stars in it and what's it all about? Uh, well, Gamma Flight is a spinoff of Immortal Hulk, uh, where the team that had been chasing down the Hulk have kind of seen seen the truth of what's going on and don't want to be a part of bringing Bruce Banner to quote unquote justice and go rogue. The way I've liked to pitch it to people is it is a book about recovering from trauma in the same way that Immortal Hulk has been a book about surviving trauma. Mm. There's a lot of a lot of sweetness in here. And it's also weird and scary and and there's a it's a dangerous book for a lot of characters, but there are moments in here which I wasn't expecting and I really dug the team banter actually getting a full book exploring this crew together and, and seeing their like their tics and their quirks with each other. It's if you are a fan of any single part of what makes this book up, I think you're going to like everything as it comes together. Oh yeah. They are a fun crew to put together because it's all very strong personalities. You've got Puck, you've got absorbing man in his, I won't say new heroic role, but his new, not being actively villainous role. Titania, kind of in her very matter-of-fact way. Leonard Sampson, now stuck as a big green grizzly bear. Charlene being very analytical and very goal-oriented. And then, you know, Rick and Dell in their new, let's call it relationship status, trying to figure out how to make the world work. This is one of those level up moments for me with artist Lan Medina, who's a great artist. But in this this issue, I was sort of blown away. I really, really love the art in here. Could you describe your reaction when you were getting those pages in your <laughs> uh, I kept thinking, wow, these panel layouts look amazing. And then on top of it, his art is so detailed and he's he just fills in so many little little sort of chunks and textures. And there's these big swaths of black that sort of surround everything. And longtime Hulk fans, try not to get spoiled by the end of the issue. <laughs> Don't listen to anything more. Don't read anything. Just go out and get yourself a copy of Gamma Flight number one. All right, Tucker, you know, our next book is not officially a Hellfire Gala tie-in, but I wanted to sort of call it out. It's Guardians of the Galaxy number 15, and it is kind of a stealth Hellfire Gala tie-in. It's friggin' great. The Guardians of the Galaxy, this new team, there's a lot of them. They're basically the Avengers of the universe is sort of the way they're looking at themselves. They're big superheroes trying to help out in many, many ways. Uh, but a crew of them goes to Earth. And we actually see that in the Pages of Sword. Some of the members from the Guardians are seen in that sword issue. But here you get this really terrific sequence as the Guardians come to the peak, which is the sword's floating space station area. And Nova, he's a hothead. And he sees Magneto and he's like, 
we got a fight punch and you get a great battle between them. But most importantly, you get them sort of like finally cooling down and having a great conversation. On top of that, we are finally getting to see what the heck is going on with the giant planet that the rest of the universe is sort of like coming to. And um, it's going to lead into the last annihilation, which is starting, I believe, next month in Guardians of the Galaxy. But it's one of those stories where I remember reading a description from one of our internal you know, editorial summits and being like, oh, hell yeah, Al gonna tear this up. I can't wait for this one. Uh, next up, we have Reptile, number two. This is such an awesome all-ages book. It's got everything. It's got like portal hopping. It's got like young kids trying to figure things out. It's so fun in that way, jumping through portals and having dinosaur action on top of it, mixed with some great character work and really unique characterizations and, and new people popping up. This is truly a like age nine to 90 type read that was just a real delight. I'm looking forward to continuing this tale. Um, all right. Up next, we have Silk number four. Look, you're a fan of big evil demonic kitties summoning even bigger, evil or more demonic things. This is where it takes off. Also, I think I would give my Get Listy award to this, to the origin of one of the antagonists of this current Silk run. It's not what you expect, and it's great, and it involves Silvio Silvermane, one of the Magia crime bosses, and I just, I love it. Oh, yeah. Um, now we're going over to the realm of Star Wars with Star Wars Darth Vader number 13, of course, as is the case with all the Star Wars mags going right now. This is a War of the Bounty Hunters entry, as is the case with this entire Darth Vader run and everything that Greg Pak has been doing since the start. And I'm thinking back to now, sitting down with Greg and talking to him and hearing him describe what his very basic premise for this series was, which is essentially how Darth Vader's past continues to affect him in the present. In this one, we start off with a little flash to his duel with Obi-Wan Kenobi on the Death Star, a flash to his duel with Luke on Bespin, flash to uh, recent events in this series, and then we jump right into the hunt that's going on. It's an amazing action book. There's so much to love visually on that front, and it's always packing a punch emotionally. This is just a stellar, stellar, stellar book, no pun intended. Yeah, I I'm loving it. Um, all right, we have Web of Spider-Man number two. That's W period E period B period, the Worldwide Engineering Brigade of Spider-Man. This is uh, the comic that is connected to the attraction that is at Disney California Adventure, the uh, Avengers Campus. What I really love is that this book not just has Spider-Man and the Avengers that we know, but it also brings in Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur and Squirrel Girl, and you get Green Goblin and all kinds of fun stuff. So yeah, I think my Get Listy award for this one is just that it brings a whole bunch of things that you wouldn't expect for a book that is connected to a theme park attraction. Totally. And now we're going back to the Hellfire Gallic. The recommended reading order, if you're trying to keep up with everything in this crossover, goes Wolverine, which is what we're going to cover right now, and then Sword, 
and then Way of X. That's the the recommended reading order. And hell, we are speeding towards the end here. I mean, this is our penultimate week of the Hellfire Gala. So much has gone on in here. This issue and down this corridor of the gala is, as you might guess, pretty closely tied to what went down in X-Force. There's some fascinating story that's been going on with Beast, certainly in X-Force, and he's made these appearances in Wolverine. It's some of my favorite stuff. Feels like we're starting to get to a turning point with him. But uh, overall, we get some Snicks, we get some Yacht crazy moments that are totally in line with the Hellfire Gala angle as well as the superhero, supervillain, like, and monster angle. There's a ton to enjoy in here, a ton to enjoy in this series. It's the best. It's great. The only thing we're missing, I think, for my money, is Wolverine getting some action. He's a fighter, but boy, is he a lover. And that also ties into our other Hellfire Gala book, which is Way of X number three. The actual issue is titled Make More Mutants. And I mean, come on, there's a lot of ways to make more mutants, but sometimes <laughs> the uh, the traditional ways are the best ways. And that is explored a bit in this issue. It also opens with <laughs> Nightcrawler just being blind, stinking drunk at the Hellfire Gala and how terrible he was at the event but you also get legion getting involved with a whole bunch of other stuff you get stacy x who has a really great role in this issue there's also this shadow over the book and i still don't want to spoil it but it was revealed at the end of issue number two and it sort of floats through and really comes to bear in the issue number three it's really great also it ends with dazzler and dr nemesis in a wonderful way i love this book i think it's just tremendous all right, now we're wrapping things up with another X-Men book. This is X-Men Legends number four, an editor's note. This story takes place before X-Factor number 43. That's the original X-Factor run. This is a perfect story to read right in tandem with Marvel Unlimited. Go check out that story. See it in context. See the gaps that are being filled. Filled by whom? Well, let me tell you, folks, it's filled by writer Louise Simonson and, and artist Walter Simonson. We get to see some of Walt's Hank McCoy. We get to see Ensaba Noor. We get to see some of these iconic characters that are written and drawn by this creative duo that is just such a powerhouse. And the story that we get as a result is really, really incredible. So what could be better than that? Just such fun times. All right. Now. That's what we have for our getting listies. We are going now over to our collections this week. A ton of stuff this week. It's a big, big one. Speaking of X-Men stuff, we have X-Men Dreams End, X-Men Old Soldiers, a couple of Star Wars collections, uh, King in Black, uh, Return of the Valkyries. That was really, really fun. A bunch of stuff, as per usual, to pick up in trade over at your comic shop. Yeah, over on Marvel Unlimited, bunch of great books. We talked about them. You got, you know, issue of X-Force out this week, an issue of Thor, all those uh, great things. Well, I wanted to point out the uh, final issue of Marvel is out this week. Issue number six is on Marvel Unlimited. It's really cool, wonderful to read on a nice big tablet, but there's also a treasury edition of Marvel that was released. It's massive, and it's the kind of, I think, the perfect way to read 
this series of Marvel, which is a spotlight on amazing uh, artists and stories. And it's really weird and fun. And to read it that is like, I don't know, almost double the size of a regular comic book is totally perfect. So go pick that up if you have the opportunity. Uh, but if you're just going to stay with Marvel Unlimited, which is a great choice, you can read all those books that we talked about. Tucker and the team will have a story on Marvel.com with all the books available. And you can also read Lords of Empire Emperor Hulkling number one, which we will be talking about with Luciano Vecchio right now. Oh, Tucker, get ready to talk about some Hulkling and Wiccan and more awesome comics because our guest on Reading Club right now is Luciano Vecchio. Luciano, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you? Thank you for having me. Yeah. We're very excited. We've been talking about having you on just because we've been blown away by your art. Some really beautiful stuff of late. And reading the Pride issue, Marvel's Voices Pride, which is one of the books we're going to talk about, man, I... Friggin' loved your your whole intro sequence in there. It's a really great issue. So I'm glad I'm glad you're on, and I'm glad you brought some really fun books for us to talk about. Luciana, to go back to the very beginning of your comic book story, could you talk about how you grew up reading comics, what books you were reading, all of that kind of stuff? Yeah, well, I grew up in Sarate, a small city here in Argentina, close to Buenos Aires, the capital. I have an older brother, and he used to read and collect comics when the Spanish editions of DC and Marvel, like early 80s stuff. So I grew up with that already being at home. So it was part of my environment, my playground, and I would watch like Super Friends on TV. And so it was always part of my life. So I, yeah, I always collect <laughs> since before I learned how to read. And as I grew older, I, I learned English through reading comics and because I am very obsessive and I wanted to keep up because uh, the Spanish editions get a, a bit of delay. We get stories like a few years after they, they were originally released. So I wanted to, to be up to date and I needed to learn English for that. <laughs> Who are your favorite characters? Growing up, I think uh, Wonder Woman and the Titans were like my favorite. Uh, it's what I had access to. And then as I got older, well, Young Avengers was like my full uh, return and rooting into Marvel mythology. Because I, I used to be more connected with X-Men, uh, especially the Grant Morrison era. But Young Avengers was like my introduction to the Avengers half of the Marvel Universe. And it is now my my favorite place. <laughs> One of my favorite things, how often that we hear just, you know, someone talk about how they grew up reading comics and how that's how they learned to read. To a broader point, I just love the idea that someone can be from anywhere and end up working in comics. I, I just find that so interesting and inspiring, like from Mark Wade, who grew up in Alabama, right, Ryan? Just like coming up and being a huge fan of the Marvel Universe, making his way to New York City and being one of the greats, or, or you, Luciano, growing up in Argentina, where it must have felt so far away in terms of 
being a creator in the Marvel Universe. Was that true? And, and what was that journey like for you going from being a fan in a different part of the world to actually getting involved in the creation? Well, it felt like a difficult task, but I, I had people around me, artists I looked up to, like, I don't know, Juan Movillo, who used to work for Marvel in the 2000s. So I, I knew it could be done because I saw people doing it. And I said, well, I can be another one. <laughs> so I don't know, I, I was lucky in many ways, but I knew from the start it could be done. There, there's a strong tradition of Argentinian artists working for everywhere in the world, especially for the Italy comic industry and for the American comic industry. So yeah, I, I had uh, mentors, uh, people to look up to, and also made my own path different from anyone else's. <laughs> There's the old quote that's sort of messed up as time has gone by, but there was the the line that C.B. Sabolsky and, and, and other people from Marvel would say, breaking into comics is like breaking out of jail. Everybody's story is unique. Once you do it one way, that way is impossible for someone else. So your way is unique to the way that, you know, the next artist who comes along and gets to design a really great character, they'll have a different path, which is which is fun. It's it's cool. I love hearing those kinds of stories. Speaking of stories, let's dive into our books for the reading club here. I want to hold, if you don't mind, the uh, Marvel's Voices Pride for the, the last part of the discussion. But I want to dig in because you brought us two issues about Wiccan and Hulkling, which is awesome. We've got Lords of Empire, Emperor Hulkling, which is uh, written by Anthony Oliveira and Chip Zdarsky. Penciled by Manuel Garcia, inks by Cam Smith, colors by Triona Farrell, letters by VCs Travis Lanham. So you, you mentioned, you know, Young Avengers. How cool is it to see Hulkling as like the emperor of the universe? <laughs> it's super cool. I really love the growth that Teddy has had last year and currently. And this story, uh, I like how it reflects how he was historically a little bit shadowed by Wiccan. And in this issue, he suffers a bit from it. Like he feels like pushed to the side. And it felt that as a reader, it felt that way for his character that he was more like a psych. I mean, we can always stole the show from the beginning. He's such a big character with connects to so many legacies. So I love that Teddy finally gets the spotlight and this whole development. Were you a fan of Hulkling from the very beginning, going back to your Young Avengers days? Was that a character that just immediately clicked with you? Yes, especially well going back to the very first Young Avengers arc. I mean, I like the of Young Avengers that it was such a great jumping point for the Marvel Universe because these characters were brand new and, and they were so much like readers. They were like fanboys and you were exploring and becoming an Avenger along with them. And I also, well, they... they, they were out and together from the start. It wasn't like a, a story full of angst or conflict. It was something that just happened. And that was so refreshing to see when I first read it. 
And it was in the time I was just coming out myself. So I really imprinted to them as character. You know? And I also had a personal interest in magic. So we can uh, have so many elements for me to identify with. I'm so glad that we are in this time period where we have so many amazing characters who are out and they're, we're telling these stories and we have creators who are telling these stories. It's refreshing. It's great. There's a story in Pride. I, I know I keep saying we're going to talk about that last, but the, there's the, <laughs> the Pride story with Tommy and David is the one that really like clicked for me. Like that one is, oh man, that one, is, that one hit me real well. Um, but going back to this issue, it's so much fun because... You know, you get to see Teddy just being a sad slob, even though he's like the most handsome man in the world wearing his Lila Cheney shirt. He's just disgusting and he's got all this <laughs> crap around. I love because to your point of like, you know, you can connect to the character because he feels so real. He feels like someone who is missing their partner, who is like just sort of moping at times, who is also a good person, who is full of love, who has gone through some crap. I think the beauty of really the entire Young Avengers cast is that they feel so real. Yeah, it is. I like how Anthony's writing here puts the focus on the heart of every little moment. Even if it's a shock or if it's a big emotional moment, everything, like, you feel it, you know? Even, uh, I don't know, there's this panel with Teddy pretending to be with Spidey, to <laughs> with Spider-Man. <laughs> it's, it's a silly joke, but you just feel a lot of stuff from a very small moment, and I think that's super powerful. The fact that we can get introduced to a character and in eight, five, ten pages or whatever, we can fall in love with them and, and their story can mean so much, even to us, but also... Like, I think about the generations that are going to read these characters. Like you said, you know, you, you got into Young Avengers and they hit you at the right time. What character, someone's going to pick up this, you know, Lords of Empire book at the right time and it'll just get them. And what I think is really astounding about this is the way that they are able to hit so much character stuff. Like you're talking about all those little moments in the midst of a giant Marvel Universe crossover that has... 800 characters and there's so many different books and going on and like, oh, you, you, you know, read this after this and you, this is this. Even if you just read this book, you get a sense of the core characters in here, what they mean to each other, what they're fighting for, who they love, all these things. And it's really well done. It's really, really well done. It is. To kind of dip back into your personal story, Luciano, could you talk about that transition moment from being a fan to being a creator at Marvel specifically and then what your first work was? Yeah, it was a slow process. As an artist, I started working many years before I got my foot in Marvel. I was working in independent stuff, uh, smaller press, some creator-owned stuff. My start at Marvel was with licensed stuff like... um, the series that adapt the TV shows and cartoons to comics. I had some experience in animation, so I'm good at drawing in in model and the style of cartoons and stuff. I think my first work at Marvel was a few issues of the Avengers Earth Mightiest Heroes comic, which adapt the TV show of the same name. 
And then I did a lot of digital comics, the Ultimate Spider-Man and Guardians of the Galaxy, the um, Infinite Comics format, which was really fun to work on. So yeah, but at, at some point I was doing also other licensed stuff for other publishers. As time passes, it became like a limitation for me because I was I couldn't use my own style fully. I, I at some point I realized that I, I wasn't showing to the world the work I was doing because I didn't identify fully with it. So I decided I that I don't want to do this anymore and I want to uh, work in the main Marvel Universe, what I have to do for this. So I started uh, asking to do new samples and and it worked out uh, pretty fluidly. One of the samples I did was uh, an Iron Heart cover and Alana Smith, the editor of the Iron Heart book, liked it so much. They used it as a variant for the first issue and then I ended up drawing the series itself and that was my second start at Marvel, the, the most uh, real one for me. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad you got that that recharge and come back and, and do things the way you wanted to because Tucker and I have talked about your work on the show and, and we've talked about how much we really love your your take. You draw really great eyes, like the, you know, very expressive and you could see the the animation background and your fashion sense. It's one of those simple things. And we talk about it when you talk about Chris Anka or a number of other great artists who just put a lot of great thought into what characters look like, what they're wearing, you know, when they're going from one day to another, sometimes they change outfits and sometimes they, you know, like it's a little thing, but it means a lot into pulling you deeper into the world. And um, it's great. So let's, actually start talking about some of your work a little bit more. We'll talk about King in Black, Wiccan and Hulkling, number one, written by Teeny Howard, penciled and inked by you, Luciano, colors by Espen Gruningern, letters by V.C. Ariana Mar. How much did it suck to have to work with Teeny? She's just the worst, <laughs> isn't she? She's the best. Uh, <laughs> she is. I, I really love this. And like, this is something I, I really, really, really wanted to do in forever. Tini is one of the few writers who recurrently writes Wigan and Hulkling. So I liked also that of these characters that they're in their young existence. So Tini did uh, Deadhead, then Strike Force, and then this special. So there is like a, a correlation in that. And I wanted to be part of that. Obviously, you did some incredible work with Ironheart, and I remember being so excited to see you jumping on that series. But this one is something that Ryan and I talk about often. It's one of those like, oh, this person's leveling up right in front of our eyes. Like we are seeing them getting to another level with this book that's coming out right here. And I feel like that was one of these moments for you because it's so incredible and the care is so clearly there. Was this one, because you finally had your shot with these characters that you've loved for so long, did that make it easier because you know them so well? Or did that make it harder because of the pressure that you felt? <laughs> I think it's a bit of both, but it mostly was easier, I think, because I can always like rest on the drive that this gives me. Yeah, it's it's a stimulating. I mean, even even a bad day of work will be the best. And it had me 
learning all the the new costume designs that Valerius Chitty did for for Empire and drawing L'Oreal, the the accuser and the the new costume for Teddy, which is the best he ever looked. So yeah, I, I would say it, it was easier in that sense that it is always reinvigorating. Also, one of the things that I love in this book is seeing characters smile, like seeing <laughs> Teddy and Billy happy and, and <laughs> full of love. Like we read a lot of comics and you don't always see characters get a chance to smile and to enjoy their time. And it really it warmed me to reread this and think about that and think about like getting to see characters have those moments. What was the script like in those pages with Teeny? Was was she specifically asking for like happy and loving, or was it you know did you guys work together and coming up with where they are in this this storyline? Yeah, I think I I also this is like a personal interest of mine to actually make people smile as as much as I can. <laughs> if you see my my commissions work and pinups, I think I, I grew up uh, when I was very little, I had that kind of imagery from, I don't know, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, you know, that, that those 80s classic iconic images of superheroes, like smiling and being wholesome. And then the 90s and <laughs> so it took all the joy from life <laughs> for everyone. So I think I, with my work, I like to compensate a bit and offer that option after a lot of grim and gritty. This is what I wanted to convey with, with them is like channeling my experience as a gay man with my lovers and boyfriends and I didn't get married and never was in a honeymoon, but, <laughs> <laughs> but still, uh, I can live the fantasy through them. And I know, I, I feel like I'm, it's me hearing on page through the, the characters. Oh, that's so cool. I love that. For uh, just a, a quick plot point, this issue, it's to be the honeymoon for uh, Wiccan and Hulkling. And uh, of course, in the midst of a honeymoon in space, Null, the god of the abyss, his forces come and cause some ruckus. It's just awesome to see Wiccan and Hulkling together fighting the good fight and, you know, protecting people. And there's the the really wonderful splash page. I think it's a splash page towards the end where Hulkling is lit up and he's he's like glowing and he's got his sword and he's like showing the universe that he is more than just, you know, a guy on a throne. He's out there. He fights for them. Like he's so he's so pure. Yeah, I love how this story presents this, like the Hulkling style of ruling and being a hero who resolves conflict the peaceful way, even if he has the, the strength and the power to do it by violence, he will always choose an alternative. And I think that's something we actively need in, in superhero stories. Yeah, I, I love drawing this whole sequence. And also, like, uh, we can help him, like, combining their powers with Teddy channeling the, the light through his sword and also getting to design this brief appearance, alternate costumes with the repelling darkness spell. I don't know if I'm spoiling everything for us. Eh, it's <laughs> okay. <I> read it. <laughs> yeah. 
you also get to to design some swimsuits, which is great. Like the yeah. <laughs> offer for both Billy and Teddy and uh, L'Oreal. Again, it's just like the pure, like there's a lightness to this that I really enjoy seeing and, and it's great. To talk about the darkness though, I really love the work you did with the symbiotes, the symbiote dragons, the kind of strange like stringiness to them. They're so cool. I, I love that design so much. And, you know, specifically those moments where like they can overwhelm Hulkling. It feels like he's going to drown inside of them. All of these things. Was that something that was in the script? Was that something you just took and ran with? Was that your idea? Those particulars of that design? I think it was in the script. And also, you know, that symbiotes are like uh, something that artists can interpret however they want mostly. So I appreciate that you found them disturbing, I guess, <laughs> because that's what I was aiming for. As much as I like wholesome smiles and heartwarming moments, I also like drawing this kind of disturbing monsters and stuff. In fact, before I I worked for Marvel and kill stuff, I used to do like golf, uh, horror stuff for a bit too. So I have that in me also. And, and the coloring, I think, helps a lot. There's this page in particular where Teddy is alone with the sword and everything is in shadows and you only see the bits of the symbiotes and their teeth and, and they overwhelm him. That page is colored beautifully. I think that's one of my favorite moments. Yeah, it's really gnarly. It reminds me in some ways of Tradmore, like that fluidity. Definitely. Uh, it's yeah. a big yeah. influence. Yeah, so that was going to be my question. Who, you know, what other artists do you enjoy looking at and like sort of think about as you're you're doing your stories, whether not necessarily like trying to pull from them, but using as inspiration? I think it, it changes a bit uh, from story to story. In this case, Tradmore was definitely... Uh, an influence because I like his Null the most and the, the way he did the, the dragons also in Silver Surfer Black. Another artist, uh, well, Chris Anka is a big influence. Dan Mora is a big influence right now and Valerius Chitty. And sometimes I, I will, for example, now I'm doing Champions, I will refer to McGuinness Nova and Adrian Al Alfona, Kamala, and try to mix influences for specific characters and then bring them together in, in the way I see them. I, it, it's so funny. I mean, the Tradmore influence specifically because it's literally like page one, I opened this up and being like, oh, well, this is so Tradmore. I mean, I, I don't know if it's the null element specifically because you captured the spirit of that so wonderfully while also just perfectly fitting it into your story at the same time. I'm curious, because of the specific action sequences in this issue, was Teeny super specific about like, okay, now we're going to have a big action sequence and we're going to start here with a wide look at, you know, these characters attacking from the left and on the right, this is happening, or was it more left to your interpretation? And then when you're working on that, What's your preferred method of attacking a big project, you know, of like a fight action sequence like that? In this case, if I remember correctly, Tini was specific about what happens in each panel, but not how to show it. I have the liberty to make the page composition. 
I like trying different things in the collaborations. I really like uh, choreographing uh, fight scenes. So, for example, with Danny Lauren Champions, they will sometimes give me a more loose description of the action and let me decide how to put it on page. And I really like that method too. It's closer to the mythical Marvel way, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's move over to Marvel's Voices Pride, number one. And of course, Tucker and I have talked a bit about this issue earlier in the episode, but now that we have you here, Luciano, tell me a little bit about the opening segment of the book, the introduction. How did you come to be the artist on this segment? Well, Sarah Brunstad, the editor, invited me. She asked me if I wanted to draw and also write a sequence. And I was like, what? They're putting together this whole special and then and I get to write and draw in it. I, I was so happy with it. It's really great. It's, you know, uh, like... I don't want to say it's not a secret history, but there's a, you know, I think it's important for a lot of our readers to see the breadth of our characters and how many readers hopefully can find themselves in characters that they didn't know existed or didn't know they they connected to in new ways. You got to draw a lot of smooching. There's some smiles in here, like the mischievous smile on Hulkling when you get to draw your, your Hulkling Wiccan panel. It's so good. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and also, this is something that, as a queer reader, for many years, for decades, we, we did this exercise of looking for the tiny moment of representation that was dropped here and there and make this kind of timeline or parallel history in our heads. So for me, it was very significant and important to have the opportunity to actually put all of this together and officially say this happened, everything in these pages is canon, <laughs> no discussion, <laughs> no room for, for interpretation. And also this special is for me like a turning point, like a somewhere you can step on to enlarge the horizon of what will happen next. So I felt it was important to do this, like what happened before, here we are now, and the future is can only be better. That's, I mean, that's such a fascinating angle to you writing this specifically, is you talking about how in a way you've been writing these stories in your head for as long as you've been reading. Um, Ryan's so right. This is the tonal, the spiritual, like this is the introduction to this whole issue, which is packed with so many great stories. Like this is a big assignment on top of the fact that one, obviously you're writing and drawing this, but also you did the cover. So like, this is like really a big Luciano special in its own way, but with the writing elements specifically, was it made easy ultimately by the fact that you had this in you for so long? What was that like? It was a challenge, but one that I really jumped in with a lot of energy and focus. I went into nerd mode. I mean, I had <laughs> uh, many days of pre-production, taking note of everything and rereading stuff and making a timeline of events and then figuring how to translate that to page. 
and I also write in a very visual way. So I didn't do like a script and then draw the pages. I did layouts, jump to the to uh, throw in a, a first rough version of the text on it, and that's what I gave Sarah for approval. I gotta say, I gotta shout out editor Sarah Brunstad, like you've mentioned, and that's someone you've obviously worked very closely with over the course of a bunch of different pieces of work. I just had to say that because you know Sarah is one of those quiet heroes of like so many of the best Marvel comics that any listener who's listening to this might not necessarily know of, like down to so many specific things and series and issues and characters that we as people who work on the inside get some great insight into seeing like Sarah is one of the main reasons that like X series is still alive and kicking and is amazing to this day or or behind a, a creative decision behind whatever it might be. So yeah, I love a moment to shout out someone like that. Uh, it's great. I also, you know, I'm looking at the credits page now and it's so cool because there are, there are creators here who are, you know, just stepping into the Marvel universe. There are some who have done some, some great work. I, I love seeing Derek Charm back doing stuff, but it's cool. Like go from your story and then Alan Heinberg and Jim Chung come in and then we get Mariko and Chris Anka getting to see Chris draw, you know, runaway stuff again. And, and, you know, Javier Garon in here. And it's a really great look across the board of like creators who have been doing this for a long time, creators who are rising very quickly and creators who are just coming into Marvel. And it's, this is maybe my favorite of the Marvel's Voices books so far. It's really damn good. That's how I felt when I I first was able to read the, the whole thing. I was like in tears and very moved. Because of every other story in the book, I mean, as a reader, and I still have this moment where, wait, I'm also part of this. I am get to be part of of, <laughs> of this thing, this product of love. It's the best of feels. Before we start to wrap up, I just wanted to touch on Somnus. Um, Luciana, could you talk uh, about how that came about? About the influences there? About, I mean having this opportunity to, from whole cloth, help create a character that I will guarantee, and and you know this just as well as anyone, will be that moment. Just like, you know, Young Avengers was for you, will be a character, an intro, a way in for a new reader that will fall in love with this character and get into, you know, the rest of the Marvel Universe because of what was, what's that like for you seeing your creation kind of realized and, and come to life here? It's a lot. I'm so happy how it, the design resonate with people, and I'm happily surprised. This was actually, I think it, this is the first time I get asked to design a character that I will not write in the story myself. I designed him for the cover. So that made me a bit nervous at first because I, I, I felt, I don't know if Claudia Aguirre later wants to do him differently. I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, it was a very particular experience, different from other assignments I did before. And I think in a way, like the design is charged with this side haste, like this spirit of the time we're living with this whole special. I think I did a design after doing the, the introduction story and Steve Sorlando's uh, script. 
which are for to design uh, somnus hits on those emotional notes you know that make this anthology and and this whole historic moment so important for all of us so in a way i like to think the 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 character design is charged with that collective energy you know and yeah i i can't even imagine what will happen next i, I want more stories already i i don't know <laughs> what comes next i i want to know him more and i i can't wait yeah it's a cool power it's a great look i mean of course you get the credit but we got to give real credit to jumbo carnation uh of the, course of the, course uh, <laughs> Amazing designer of the best mutant fashion around. Well, that's um, because Shambo uh, Carnation is in charge of the of all the the costumes. There is a like a recent but very strong tradition with the everyone who participate of the Hellfire Gala looks designs. So I obviously all of that influenced the this design too. That's got to be a fun thing to like sort of get into the mind of Jumbo to create that. that that's cool. It's, that's, that's a fun aspect of it all. Luciano, we are thrilled that you came on to talk about these books. We're just over the moon for your work. Keep it up. Keep making really cool stuff. Like just looking at the picture of, of Prodigy, David, in the intro, it looks so freaking cool. That outfit is just amazing. <laughs> Everything... This book looks great. We want all of our listeners, go check it out. Go follow Luciano. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Luciano. Muchísimas gracias to Luciano once more. What a great artist. What a great guy. Such a great conversation. I mean, it's one of those, it's a special talk um, during a special time for someone who is, I think, really, really hitting his stride creatively. Obviously, we're seeing that in Marvel's Voices Pride. We're seeing that across his work. Just so much fun to chat with Luciano Vecchio. Just a definitive ding-dang delight. That's it for us this week. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Tucker Marcus, Jasmine Estrada, with help from Megan Bagala. Jill DeBoff is our Director of Audio Production and Development. And Brad Barton is Marvel's Pull List Audio Development Manager. And he has assured me that even though Heroes Reborn is over, he does not regret getting an in Mephisto we trust lower back tattoo. He's going to wear that for the rest of his dang life. How did I know? How did I know that's where you were growing? You know what? I don't think it had anything to do with you. I think it's just that we know Brad. We know his tendencies. We know he loves it. He loves a lot of really interesting ink all over his body, and we know he loves Mephisto. It's just him. I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. And this is Marvel. Your universe.